I really need a haircut. <laughs> the bangs get in my eyes, and there's a sprig of hair right here that just always springs back up, and it's very frustrating. But despite how much I know, I oh sorry. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> if you didn't catch that, I need a haircut. Um, but I was saying that despite how much I know I need to get this haircut, I'm actually not going to get a haircut this week. Definitely not. And I'll tell you why. It's because it's Chinese New Year for me, and one of the things that we don't do is cut our hair during this time. Why? Well, because the word for hair, pronounced in Cantonese as fat, sounds like the word for prosper or flourish, as in gong hei fat choi. Therefore, according to tradition, I'm not going to cut my hair. Doing so would symbolize cutting off my fortune for this coming year. So growing up, these sorts of traditions, these uber-intentional pieces of symbolic behavior, were really what defined Chinese New Year for me. The symbolism kicks into effect with the year-end family reunion dinner, where we'd all sit down to supper to symbolize our togetherness as a family. My mom would create an amazing feast for the most important dinner of the year. There would be fish, yu, which symbolized having more than you need, yu. Our soup would have a special black moss called fat choy because it sounded like riches, fat choy. We'd have nothing sour and nothing bitter, and everyone would make sure to fill, refill their rice bowls at least once to symbolize having enough for the year. And perhaps most importantly, once we sat down, we couldn't get up until we were all done. As a family, we did things together. And then the next morning, New Year's Day, we would wear red to symbolize happiness and celebration. We'd eat rice cakes called Nin Go, whose name sounds like the year rising up, Nin Go. My mom would lay out a beautiful spread of fruit, including tangerines, gut, which sounds like luck, gut, and mandarin oranges, gum, which sounds like gold, gum. And we'd eat candied lotus seeds and other sweets to represent sweetness in every day of the year. And that was just the food, and just, and just some of the food at that. There were also decorations, gifts like the red envelopes, and a whole slew of greetings that all featured this magical well-wishing. So you can see how one time every year, our lives would enter into this ultra-symbolic space where every corner that you turned would reveal a delightful double meaning. The flip side of this well-wishing is the question of what happens when you drop something, or flip the fish, or speak of inauspicious events, or get up from the table before everyone's done. Would bad things then happen? Would the year be ruined? Some would call this being superstitious, very superstitious. Writings on the wall, ladders about to fall. And really, that's not so different from what we're talking about here. And if we live in a constant fear of these events or actions, or in constant fear that we're not doing enough of other things in order to counteract those, that would drive us crazy. 
And it could lead us to harm ourselves or to harm others. As Stevie Wonder sings, perhaps very aptly, when you believe in things you don't understand, then you suffer. Superstition ain't the way. Superstition ain't the way. Is that the case? This question actually was raised early in Chinese history. Confucian thinkers were divided into two camps. Some actually believed that human actions could really induce the universe to behave differently, especially through symbolic ritual or moral actions. But others considered this absolutely ludicrous. The first century thinker Wang Chong formulated it this way, saying that human lives on earth are like fleas in the folds of clothing. If fleas wanted to influence what we thought and they screamed loudly into our ears, we wouldn't even ever hear them. So he said, it's absurd to imagine that heaven and earth, so vast and grand, could understand the words or wishes of us mere humans. I tend to agree with Wang Chong but then, when we say to each other these blessings, and we eat all these foods, and we play with all these double meanings, what then are we really doing? I'd like to introduce another Confucian thinker, Xunzi, who railed against the superstition that he saw in his time. But he also thought that the practices and actions involving the ghosts and the spirits were important, not because they served the supernatural, but because the practices themselves served the people doing them. You see, when we say something like, congratulations on sudden riches for the year that hasn't happened yet, it's not that we're trying to induce the universe to make that statement true, Rather, we're taking on an as-if pose, acting as if it were so. So when we say, congratulations, we're saying, let's act as if we know we're going to have a good year. Let's begin this new year with this tone, with this positivity, with this assumption. And so we bring ourselves into a different place and a different mindset so that we can let go of the burdens of the past and not knowing anything of what the future holds in store to act as if we know it's going to be good for us. There was a famous psychology experiment where the researcher made some participants hold a pen in their mouths so that their teeth were showing, mimicking essentially a smile. The participants didn't know that the researcher wanted them to do this, but essentially they were going like this. The participants who were made to smile actually rated cartoons they read as funnier than those who didn't. So the act of reshaping your mouth as if you were smiling actually made you a happier person. So here the celebratory act was not a result of your being happy. Happiness was induced, in a way, by the act of celebration. So in the same way, 
That's what these New Year's superstitions mean to me. Congratulations is a preemptive celebration that lets us act as if it were true. And this will carry us into a year where we might actually make it possible. One question that often occurs to me is whether this sort of preemptive celebration denies suffering or pain. Is it delusional or at worst oppressive? Certainly, not being able to mention what's troubling you on New Year's Eve dinner can stifle the reality of one's experience, especially if it's out of sync with everything that's going on. That can definitely be true. At the same time, I'd like to offer one way that this as-if pose can play a role in addressing this suffering. At the end of World War II, China had been devastated by an eight-year-long invasion in which four million Chinese troops had perished, 10 million civilians had died from military actions, and an additional five million died from poverty and famine. The country was exhausted, shattered, broken, and deeply wounded. It had been a long, dark winter. And yet, spring would be coming. One songwriter, Chen Gexin, in defiance of the tragedy and the sadness of the circumstances, penned a song that willed back into existence a new spring, a new year, and a reason for celebration. Amidst the ashes, amidst the tears, amidst the horrible loss and trauma, we are going to find joy and hope. And so will we. Let us call in spring when this winter has been so harsh and overwhelming. Let us try for a few brief moments together this morning to will into existence the happiness of our new year whether from a place of pain or from a place of joy, let us celebrate with one another. Let us call in the new year and all the promise it brings. Congratulations. Amen, Ashe, and blessed be.